0: Welcome to think to film Podcast, where we read the book, and then see the movie. I'm Luke, and I'm James. This week, with the help of special guest host J.L. Gribble, we discuss Ava DuVernay's 2018 science fantasy film, A Wrinkle in Time. Now let's stick together and head to Camazot's.
1: guys we saw a wrinkle in time and i think we all probably have some thoughts on it but we also want to introduce our special guest
0: yeah i'd like to welcome jl gribble to the show jl writes the urban fantasy slash alternate history series steel empires which includes steel victory steel magic steel blood and the upcoming steel time she also blogs about books and movies for speculativechic.com.
1: dot com welcome to the show jl
2: hi thanks for having me
0: yeah thanks for coming on definitely
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing we should start with is uh, kind of how you guys know each other, just in general.
0: Yeah, well, uh, JL graduated before me at Seton Hill, but we've met since, um, where we're so alumni from the same uh, MFA program.
2: The the vast connection of alumni.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. It's great. I know so many cool people through that program. So. Um, I wanted to find out, have you... So I think I saw Speculative Chic. You did a review of the book as well as this movie?
2: So I. So funny story. I grew up reading prob- Many Waters probably about a million times. But when I was growing up, the only copy of A Wrinkle in Time that I could find was the creepy one with the weird centaur dude and the giant head on the cover. yeah,
0: I've seen that online. And I
2: never, I was like, no, this is too weird even for me. And so (laughs) I never read it. Um, And Uh so every year for Speculative Chic, we do a resolution project. And this year I resolved to read the book before the movie came out, which I did. And my review was posted, um, I think, last month sometime, and so it's really interesting coming to that book as an adult when so many other people I know kind of grew up and absorbed it when they were much younger. So I feel like I have a very different perspective on the story in the film, since I don't have that intrinsic emotional connection, especially to Meg Murray, like so many other female fantasy friends that I have.
0: I can totally see that. We're we're coming at it from a similar way in that we uh, neither of us read it as kids. We read it for the podcast, you know, so recently um and uh, same thing like i was bringing my modern adult sensibilities to it and having to like imagine what i would have thought if i had read it when i was you know the target age range
1: and how that might have affected my opinion of it definitely and there's there's a certain i kind of wanted to put myself in the shoes of a child when reading the book as well which i I think we tried to do um but also give that perspective of the of the adult so i think we kind of did that and and that actually brings us to the film now where I also, in my personal opinion, is that, that that's also true here, where it's like it's like it seems to be uh, more of a film geared towards children, which a lot of these type of films are. But um, you can also look at it through the lens of, a, of an adult, and I think it gives a different perspective each way,
0: for
2: sure. Which is why it's so funny that so many reviews that I've seen over the weekend, especially that are so critical of it, seem to be forgetting the fact that this is a movie geared towards kids. This isn't like... Annihilation, which was the movie I saw pretty much right before it, which also yeah, has <laughs> incredibly fantastical elements, but is very much an adult film.
0: Sure. I, yeah, I, absolutely. That's true. I think I think, um, I think you, with, with a lot of kids movies that you'll have ones that are almost exclusively for children. And there'll be a little bit for adults, but not a lot. Then you'll have, like, certain ones that transcend truly, like, I don't know, maybe Toy Story or something, right, like where the it's Lion King. children love it and adults love it. Like, you'll find equal, you know, everywhere. And then, um, I, you know, I think maybe this one is a little bit more the former. Like, it's more of a kid's book that's going to land best, I think, for people of that age range, in my opinion.
2: I think it tried to transcend and in some yes. cases it definitely hit the mark um especially with the flashbacks to uh, the doctors Murray yeah. um but there were other elements where I'm like oh this is such a kids thing I'm just sitting here enjoying the pretty pictures
0: Sure yeah uh,
2: And there were little things like having i'm just not used to a movie score that includes lyrics outside of a disney
1: movie yeah that i didn't actually that's a great point i was thinking about that that was something that really stuck out to me that i wanted to talk about because it felt very like like um it felt like a disney movie that that really wanted to to make sure that those those up-and-coming pop singers were were kind of like showing up in their in their within the film Hmm. there was it seemed like every emotional beat was a little bit undercut with with a like a pop song rather than like an emotional score to like that you could interpret what you were supposed to feel
2: absolutely especially because um i think especially the that light of the universe i i may have made those words up um that song in particular (laughs) was written for the movie so i feel like they really wanted to include that
1: I think
0: I I mean, I, I feel like I've noticed that more in TV shows that'll have like some, you know, like certain kinds of TV shows, at least that are going to be more likely to do that. I don't know what that means, but
1: it's more common there, at least, I think. I could see that. And this almost feels like um, in some ways, like I don't know how many of the Disney Channel original movies you guys were able to catch growing up. But it kind of there's there's a little bit of a, of a Disney Channel original movie feel to this movie not in obviously not in the visuals. And, and I mean, there's like some incredible like sets and locations that they went to. And it was it was really amazing. But um, just a little bit of that, the element felt kind of TV ish to me.
2: I, I have a sister who's 11 years younger. So I watched a lot of Disney Channel original movies. <laughs> and now that you mentioned that, yeah, absolutely, especially in some of the conversational tones that came out. Um, I thought that the dialogue in some places was really uneven
0: yeah yeah so i should say i mean in case it isn't clear uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about this movie in a non-spoiler way um i mean there might be some light stuff in there but we're gonna try not to spoil major plot points stuff like that um we've read the book previously as we've covered um so that's what we do in this podcast and so there are gonna be some book comparisons i'd like to get into um and then we'll move to a spoiler section which we'll clearly announce so it'll be safe for people who maybe haven't seen the movie yet.
1: Yep. Well the spoiler right so the spoilers would be for people who have seen the film. Right. So you said okay cool. <laughs> so uh before we get to that I did want to take a second to talk about the filmmaker uh Ava yep. DuVernay. She's she's a great filmmaker and I've I've been a fan of a lot of her things that she's done Selma I thought was one of the best movies of that year. Um 13th on on Netflix was was really like I mean it was really affecting and I can the tons of people were were um, like huge fans of that and and me included in that uh, but she's an American film director producer screenwriter and film marketer and film distributor so she had some behind the scenes work as well before she got into directing but she um, she won a U.S. directing award for dramatic for her second feature middle of nowhere at the Sundance 2012 Sundance Film Festival and she was actually the first African American woman to win that award. Oh. Which cool. is pretty I mean, that's amazing. And then she moved on to Selma. And she was with Selma, she was the first uh black female director to be nominated for a Golden Globe. Okay, cool. And then she uh I mean it should have happened before then, but Absolutely, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh she was also the the first uh black female director to have her film nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture with Selma. Oh, okay. Nice. So, I mean, she hasn't had very many um, feature length films, but of those, they've been acclaimed so far. And then A Wrinkle in Time has actually had a budget exceeding $100 million, making her the first black woman to direct a live action film with a budget of that size.
2: Wow. And something that I read this morning, um, as of the time of this recording, which we're doing the Tuesday after A Wrinkle in Time came out in theaters... Currently in the United States, the top 2 box office films, which are Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther, are both black directors, which is pretty amazing and again yeah. long overdue.
1: That's Definitely. awesome, agreed. I uh, yeah, I also saw um Kugler who directed Black Panther uh wrote a, like a I mean a love letter to Ava DuVernay about about how um how incredible she is and and what she what she means to him and what she means to the community as a whole and and I thought that was really cool and and I just love to see both of them
0: and it's like an open letter like can does he did he
1: publish it or is it yeah yeah you can read it I should it.
0: check that out that's cool um I also wanted to talk about so we uh, we listened to the audiobook version and we found out right before recording this that mine had something that his didn't have and it was a forward by Ava DuVernay herself um I guess I had the updated version or something of the audiobook
2: and I think my print copy had a foreword, and I'm just now realizing, yeah, that was by Ava DuVernay. So I read that in my print copy.
0: Yeah, so it was probably similar to what I had. It was it was about how the death of her father um, kind of inspired her. It seems like to to make this film. And she had read it before, but um, thinking about her father inhabiting the spaces between the stars, and and her kind of deep emotional connection to Meg, who was searching for her father. And, and so it seems like it came from
1: a really personal place, which I, I think translates onto the screen uh, really well. For her to feel that emotionally connected to this film, I feel like it was really important because it, yeah. it's it's definitely a story that, that it sounds like she, she read growing up and was in, important to her.
2: And of course, I can't remember the name right now, but one of the other producers on the film was also a producer for the original adaptation that came out in the early 2000s. And she was so disappointed in it that she actually was part of the champion process to get another film made. So she was also part of this production. And I hope she's happier with this one.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say I wasn't aware there was another adaptation made. Um, I don't know how we missed that in our research. Or maybe you knew about it and well, I
2: didn't.
1: Yeah, I did know about
2: you it. it was, okay. I, I just
1: missed that somehow. <laughs> I believe it was a TV adaptation. Right? Yeah, it was, it was a TV. Oh, it, yeah. it was
2: a TV adaptation. And apparently it was fairly awful um when i was putting together the film review for speculative chic i found i came across some images for it and it it was it looked very tv
0: yeah well i mean the visuals are just so awesome in this film like yeah if you take away that like i can imagine you replace it with tv budget it's not gonna it's not gonna hold
1: up very well yeah well i mean i think this is a good point for us to jump into our non-spoiler thoughts kind of condense them and, and give our overall thoughts on, on what we thought of *A Wrinkle in Time*, so did you want to start JL?
2: Sure. Um, I think again we brief we briefly touched on this that it is definitely a kids movie that adults can certainly enjoy as long as they remember that this is not a film that was created for them. However much right. they may have fallen in love with the book, however many years ago when they were when they were young women or young men. Um, mm-hmm. Though for me, uh, for a lot of my friends, it was they wanted to be. Meg or they identified strongly with Meg and I I, I kind of feel bad that I missed that now even though I found my heroes in other books but I was incredibly pleased um that the younger actors in the movie absolutely stole the movie for me. I was going in expecting to really enjoy the adult actors especially the Mrs. W's um and I loved Reese Witherspoon Um, Oprah was kind of meh for me, but Meg and Cal and especially Charles Wallace absolutely stole the show for me. And I was really pleased by that.
1: So I agree with you. Uh, I, I ended up being, even through the, through the lens of, of thinking of how I would have reacted to this as a child. I think I would have enjoyed it more as as a child. And I I think that goes with, along with everything that we're saying here. So I am pretty mixed on it. Um, I kind of was expecting with a really strong filmmaker's voice, like Ava DuVernay, to, for her to bring something really original and something unique to make this like a Disney classic, I was kind of expecting something like to that would transcend that. That whether you're a child or an adult, you you will love this film. So, um, and I don't, I don't, I don't fault her for for something. You know what I mean? Making a movie tough, and there's a lot of things that go into it. I don't think that that just because this didn't end up, you know, the, I, I'm an I'm an adult, I'm a grown adult, so. Um take what I say with a grain of salt because we're, we're not children and we're, we're not going to be able to like say exactly how we would have felt at that age. Mm. But uh, yeah, I felt that, that there was a little bit of um, her. I feel like there was a little bit of broadening of the ideas and things that were going on in it that, that led to this film feeling um, less of an Ava film and more of a Disney film. Okay. And um, but that's just my own personal take on it. What'd you think?
0: Sure, man. I, <laughs> um, it's interesting because I mean I'm going to disagree a little bit, and it's it's all subjective, you know. Um, so we're it's it's clear that all three of us had kind of different takes and you know different reactions to certain things. Um, I agree that like I uh, Meg in particular was my child actor standout. Um, I thought she carried the film and did a great job in every scene. I was really impressed with that actress. But yeah, Charles Wallace was more uneven for me. Uh, I I think I can see scenes where he shined, um, but without getting into spoilers, there were some particular scenes in the the back half of the movie that I started to have some friction with his performance. And like, it's so hard to say that about like a five-year-old kid too, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's what, like, I don't know. It's a lot of heavy lifting to ask. Um, but like clearly some people maybe didn't, you know, what I mean didn't have a problem with it. So that's my subjective reading of it. Um, overall, I, I mean, just to like back out a little bit of about the film. Um, it seemed like there was a real attempt to make it a very direct adaptation. You know, like there was a few like some of the stuff uh, with the seer, you know, without spoiling it, uh, there was a few things that were pretty different. But for the most part, like having read this book right before I saw the movie, I was like, wow, there's a lot of the same beats. A lot of the same story elements weren't changed
2: until they were, especially in the were. last half, which is where right. Charles Wallace started to fall apart for you. So yeah. maybe it was the overall the the significant changes in the ending, which it it stayed true to the thematic elements of the book. But I was a little disappointed with some of the changes that were made. I was really thrilled yeah. with some of the other changes that were made, though. So,
0: yeah, and it's funny because like it's it's not like it, it, there were times where it stuck very close to the to the um, to the book early on that I did wish they had changed some stuff too. So I, I'm not necessarily like they should have been even more to the book. Um, it just you know every scene and every choice you have to come down on whether or not it was the right decision to stick with the book, and that's going to be subjective. Um, and you know I once again I don't have this beloved. I don't have this like reverence for the book that someone who grew up with it's going to have. So there's going to be a difference there too. Oh, okay. So this is something I definitely want to talk about. Wonder Woman, Black Panther. And now this movie have all hit me in an emotional way that, you know, and as a white man, I feel like it's going to be less for me than other people, but like it, like socially, it feels so important to see a movie like this and to see in this, in this film, a mixed race family that is so loving and so supportive of each other and um, to see that unit and to see that portrayed and at the and you know, centered in this movie, um, I thought was really powerful and I definitely want to like anything else I say about it. Like that's more important than a lot of it. You know what I mean? And we're getting millions of children who are going to grow up seeing this and just putting that out into the world is just such a, I think a positive thing. And if you want to connect that to the light versus the darkness and You know, there was one really good thing that Oprah has where she talks about that. I guess I won't say too much about it, so I don't want to spoil it. But um, at the heart of this movie, if you take that to, you know, in like a meta level and think about the film itself as a force of this light and goodness. And um, I think that really, like, no matter what I say about it, that really struck home and and that I really love that about it.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to agree with you about that. Um, Something else that I wanted to say is that, the like I feel like these are important films to be being made because we're talking about films that like you said will reach the masses that all of these people will see and it will begin to you know it will begin to make these like it will begin to make children grow up differently than the generation before and the generation before that and so I think with Ava being such a strong filmmaker and a strong voice like I, I'm really happy that she's able to make a film like this, and I hope that she's able to continue to make these diverse movies. Oh, there is one more thing that I wanted to mention. I almost feel like there was an active choice that was made, and I think it may have been on her part, that there were there, the things that were going on in the book that made it more of a child's book, that I think we talked about in the episode, was was the fact that a lot of the messages, a lot of the things to learn from the movie were on the nose. And I think that there was a decision made to make the film emulate that. And I think that there was, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, because like we said before, it's an easier jumping on point for a child.
2: Again, as an adult coming to the book, um, especially a book that at this point is over 50 years old. And as, um, like, I'm, I'm a graduate of the Seton Hill program, like Luke is. So I bring kind of that knowledge of, the fantasy and the young adult genres to my reading of anything. And it was interesting to see how this book is part of the origin of a lot of the tropes that are, that tend to not be used anymore because they are so, they, they were so overused at some point. So I really appreciated that everything about Meg that really irritated me, again, reading as an adult was not in the film um i thought she was kind of spoiled and self-entitled and overindulgent and um in but in the movie in the book yeah in the yeah. book but in the movie she she was a warrior and i loved it
0: yeah i could see that
1: yeah i i um i believe her name is storm reed okay thank you um she i think she has a, a bright future ahead of her she she like i think she was the standout of this movie for sure. Um, Something else. I think that just from a filmmaker's perspective, it's this. This film is is really well crafted. There's great cinematography. Mm-hmm. There's great like energy to the to the motion of the camera. There's a lot of thought that goes into a lot of the setups and the, the blocking of the scenes. And I think that the overall, no matter what you think of it, it's it's well crafted. It in the in in the sense of it from a technicals perspective. Sure. So I think that we're getting into the point where we can't talk much more without talking about spoilers. So unless you guys had final thoughts about non-spoiler.
2: No, because I really want to talk about the ending. So let's go. Yeah, there's so <laughs>
0: many specifics, but yeah, I can't I'm trying to think if there's broad things we could talk about, but I I I think I think no, I think we need to get to spoilers.
1: All right, before we move on, we just want to take a second to talk to you about Audible. Audible is an app that you can use on your phone to listen to audiobooks and they have a massive audiobook collection. And they've been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. And with that, you get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook in their collection.
0: Yeah, and uh, I thought this week I'd go ahead and recommend our next project, which is going to be Ready Player One. It's one of my favorite audiobooks of all time because Will Wheaton is the uh, narrator. Uh, he reads the book to you. And uh, as you can imagine, it's perfect for the novel. It's a, It's a ton of fun, and I know I'm going to listen to it again uh, for our next project when we get to it.
1: Yeah, I'll definitely, that's how I'll be, I'll be experiencing that story as well. I'm excited because I'm, I am a fan of Will Wheaton, so it'll be fun to have him kind of read the whole story to you.
0: I, I mean, I hope you enjoy it. I really do. Um, but yeah, if you want to get that copy, all you got to do is sign up to Audible through audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film, and you'll get that for free. And then, uh, you'll get free 30 days before you get another book, which is another credit um and then you know you can cancel anytime so we hope you check it out uh give audible a try thanks a lot
1: so let's jump right into spoilers um usually we try to move chronologically so we may do that but you yeah. said you want to talk about the ending so yeah. i don't want to hold you from yeah. that if go you want to jump
0: it. around it's fine
1: we're in spoiler section anyway so full spoilers yeah go for it tell us about the ending well
2: you know if if we want to talk about the be- beginning, I think I mentioned this previously, but the beginning really rang true to me as a modern, updated telling of the story, um, especially in terms of uh, the incidences at school where Charles Wallace was more involved, which I loved because I love Charles Wallace. Yeah. That was delightful. Um, yeah. And it wasn't really until the ending that I became more disappointed with some of the changes that were made.
0: Yeah, I mean, the 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 kind of the fun of the book with the 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 three Ws showing up, and kind of the lightness and like the let's go on an adventure vibe, translated so well, and they were able to keep that so well. And I think especially for young kids, like it's you're gonna get caught up in that and and really interested to see what it's like, you know, once you've tested somewhere crazy um and explore that world and and just the pure joy of them running down the hills to go talk to the flowers once they get to that point you know and and in this beautiful alien world with the big like spike looking things coming out of the ground and and then when um which a a, a good change i think was uh you know the more the even more fantastical um someone called it a lettuce monster now i can't (laughs) stop thinking of it as that but like a lettuce dragon like this big leafy dragon um that Reese Witherspoon's uh Mrs. What's it turns into I thought it was really cool and and, and you know them writing on the back and, and all that stuff was just it was really fun and and visually stunning you know it reminded me of almost like an avatar or something flying through Pandora or whatever it is right
2: it, it also I was literally just thinking they could have so easily made the planet look like avatar but it's so distinguished and original that I'm glad yeah they didn't
1: the very beginning of it it took me a little bit to get on board um I I felt like there were there was like a lot a lot being thrown at us with with not a lot to really I mean I guess they were building up the idea that that she was without her father and maybe it's just because we we had just read the book but I felt like we were they were just trying to hit plot points at the beginning and um as we moved through the beginning up until we saw the W's it, it, it took me about that long to get fully on board. Yeah, the um, movie
0: does re- change gears when Mrs. Whatsit shows up, I think. And mm-hmm. it's kind of marked.
1: Yeah. And I, I will say that I, I don't think it really talked about performance as much other than other than Storm Reed. Um, I actually did like the the like almost cartoonish like characteristics that they took on. And like, I, I guess it's because of the book, because we knew what they were like, how fantastical they were going to be. And um I will. It's a little jarring. I feel like almost in everything to see Oprah because she's Oprah. Yeah, you know, she's Oprah. You can't get away. Now, if you're a kid, you don't know. but
2: She was just a really chill giant Oprah. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: I'm like, how cool would it must have been to be on set with Oprah? Like that's what I. That's what that's what it brings me to. Oh, how it? lucky for all those actors they get to exactly. act with Oprah. Exactly. And then Reese Witherspoon <laughs> I thought I think Reese Witherspoon's in this like renaissance for herself right now with with yeah. big little lies and and like some of the, and I wild she did recently mm-hmm. um like she kind of went away for a little while and she's back and and I think she's great and everything that I've seen her in recently and this is no exception I thought she was like fun and she she was a little more I, than I expected from the book she was like she was like pretty mean to Meg and I guess it was part of that tough love thing but it was like I was like surprised at, at what the the how ferocious he was being to her. Mindy's character is is uh, really interesting too because I, the quotes were there, and like there were a couple of them that were like kind of just like okay, I can see why they were trying to do that. You know, like the the Chris Tucker, damn, <laughs> like like uh, when when she did that, I was like okay, okay, I can see why you would do that for an updated version, but it was like it hit me a little cheese ball, like it. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say she she was probably my least favorite of the three. Yeah. Well, Um, when she started talking uh, through her own voice, I felt like she was right back in it. It was was that early
0: on where they only ever let her speak in quotes. But that's true to the The, book, too. Well, no, I mean, she spoke in other languages and stuff, though, right? True. That's true. I don't know. I don't remember her only speaking in quotes in the movie. Do you you remember that in the book? I remember she
2: only spoke in quotes. So, on the one hand, I appreciated the updated quotes, especially the Outcast one, which Calvin recognized. But I agree with you that the damn one was a little like, okay, that's a little trying too hard. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, exact. Trying too hard is a good point. Like, that's, it's like, it was good until every now and then it tipped the scale into the trying too hard territory. And
2: I actually became less interested in her when she, like the first time she spoke in her own voice, it was understandable because they were losing power. But then the fact right. that she didn't go back to the quotes was a little disappointing for me. Like you couldn't find like a supportive, cool quote for that. You had to just, if that felt a little bit like lazy script writing to me in that one. Yeah. Instance. It's
0: uh, I agree with that. It's, it's like a shortcut, right? Or something. It's, it's, it's kind of like violating your own premise because the premise is that like, that's what she prefers. And the only reason she didn't do it because she was weakened on that planet or Kamazots, but then when she's not no longer there why in the world would she not go right back to it like it it almost like invalidates the whole premise Mm -hmm. because then you're like well
1: why didn't she talk like this the whole time so uh what did you guys think of like overall when they first started traveling like the wrinkle effect like all of all of the things that that they got Mm -hmm. into with the science because that's another thing that we should touch on is is the fact that like it is important that this movie is also um you know, making science cool to kids. Yes. And that's like a big deal to me specifically because I can remember a lot of movies that that affected me and made me interested in certain subjects.
2: I was really bummed that they cut the scene from the trailers about her explaining like the whole concept of Tessering. But -hmm. on the other hand, I think the visual representation of Meg Tessering the first few times and finding it incredibly painful Versus when she finally is true to herself and Tessers at the end, I thought that those visual distinctions were very well done because it translated um, what was happening very clearly.
0: When we did our book episode, we talked about how um, uh, Madeline L'Engle, uh faced a lot, a huge backlash for this novel when she when she first put it out and it was banned several times. And she got a backlash from both people who were extremely religious, who thought it was too new age and too science heavy. And then also from the science community, some people thought it was too religious, too Christian. Um, And I think this movie's like right in that same vein, right? Because um, once again, I'm someone who's extremely scientific and not very religious at all. So sometimes I would be like resistant to certain things, but, you know, I'm able to objectively think about like that's what this book is you know and and so I was glad that it's st- I guess it stayed true to that like it, it blends science and, and religion you can't really look at this movie and say it's all about science because it's not there's a very strong element of it that's kind of spiritual and, and faith-based I think uh, at least that was my read of it
2: I tended not enjoy science fantasy books very much but this was an excellent representation of what science fantasy should be
1: yeah, I thought and I was also really glad that they showed the like the but with both parents being scientists and showing like like all of all of that side of it where they had researched and figured out the love which, which I feel like in the book it wasn't as much like they didn't come out and say like love is is how you tesser like Yeah, right? so I I a, think that was a change. So that it was seemed a, to be to me. That was a change and like I I get why they did it. Um it's kind of like shorthand for for everything they were trying to say the distance between two points is connected by love this unforeseen they were tr- kind of you know what i mean when when he was yeah, you're when, right. the father when was they when they explaining the, it when yeah when he gives the the little speech in front of the like room of people who laugh at him so i like i kind of i agree with you cuz i didn't even think about the fact that there was a, like that clip in the trailer where where they did the actual science more scientific look at it and I, it's kind of a bummer that they they missed out on doing that
0: I, I'm not familiar with that part from the trailer. I must have, I don't know, blacked out at that part or something. <laughs> um,
2: it's when she's holding the string and the ant crawling across the string, but then she brings the two ends of the string together, which is a really awesome representation of what, like, wormhole theory is. So
1: Yeah, it's almost straight out of the book as well. It's that, that diagram that was in the book. Yep. Yeah,
0: I, I think in the book it's, like, her dress or something. I think they mm-hmm. fold her, she folds her dress and stuff.
1: But, yeah, it is
0: explained in that way for sure.
1: So the next thing they did after they after they like fly on on the lettuce, yeah, creature was they they get to Zach Galifianakis the seer right Isn't right they next? go to the seer yes yeah. <laughs> yeah and,
0: and um I, I well actually I want to I want to ask I want to ask J L so what what did you think of Zach Galifianakis in this mo- in this movie
2: I I loved him <laughs> um, I didn't really get why he was called the happy medium in the book so. I got it in the movie. So that was a Mm. lot of fun. And then just the added bonus of the quirky little relationship that he had with Mrs. What's it was really cute.
0: I completely agree with that. I thought he was I mean, like he was a a high point in the movie for me, for sure. I think he provided some needed levity to it with his um, I mean, and I'm I'm kind of bummed because it was in the trailer. And so that movie was that part was kind of spoiled. But when he says, "Do I look like someone who's joking or something like that?" and he's doing the like funny hand motions and all this stuff, like that was a really funny moment. And like it would have been a laugh out loud moment if I hadn't already seen it in the trailer. I think so. You know that well, yeah. That's the eternal problem with marketing, right? You have to end up spoiling some things. But yeah, I I think he was great. And and I'm not a huge Zach Galifianakis fan,
1: but I think in this movie he was really good. Like he was really funny. He uh, I definitely agree that he was a high point. The i just love that he was like this chill like 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 you said like the happy medium mm-hmm. he really i don't know i like when i heard that he was in this i was just like that doesn't seem like it's gonna fit but he, he definitely did i agree i had my eyebrow like up about that i'm like oh really zach Galifianakis is gonna be doing his thing in this movie mm-hmm. but he was good he was funny so I think I want to jump over to, unless there's something else along the way that you guys want to talk about, but I want to jump over to the Kamazot uh, stuff. I know oh, I yes. jumped over a decent amount of stuff, but I felt like the Kamazot stuff, the editing in, in that like initial scene, well, I don't even know if it's the initial scene, but the... There was the tornado the, first, and then, this, then, okay, then so the neighborhood. Yeah, after the tornado. Did okay. you guys want to say anything about the tornado?
2: I thought the tornado was almost completely unnecessary. Um, Everything about Camazots in the book that was incredibly interesting to me was all of the synchronicity elements of the neighborhoods and the fact that we only got that one cul-de-sac with the kids. Um, And a standout moment for the book for me was the kid who was not bouncing the ball and the mom kind of like pulls him inside. And I was looking forward to that and I was looking forward to their travel through the creepy city, but then suddenly we're on like this weird beach. That yeah, that I was really bummed because um in my review I was really looking at the how when the original writing communism and the threat of you know homo- homogeneity I can never say that word um, was kind was was scary at the time of the writing and how we've kind of come full circle in that regard in terms of just extremism of, of other sorts but that whole message was lost in the movie as much as I liked Mike Michael Pena as it only he wasn't really yeah. it he's actually credited as something called red instead hmm. well there's
1: the man with red right the guy who sees red with the the, in the thing above him mean? yeah yeah he so I think he was supposed to be something of that but I think Michael Pena is like Everything I've also seen him in recently, he's been great in. Like he's just like he, uh, like in Ant-Man. Oh, yes. He was he my favorite totally part of Ant-Man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, just riffing on what you were saying, JL. Uh, yeah, it, I think the Kamazot stuff, I had to view it through the prism of the book because it is one of my favorite parts of the book. And so because of that, some of the changes I think were going to be jarring to me because I agree. and And, and it seems to me that if you're a kid watching this movie, you don't feel that there are a bunch of people who are trapped in the darkness or it and being manipulated because when, when the neighborhood dematerializes and when they go to the, to the beach and no one responds, it felt very much to me like these weren't real people. These are like just act like a, like a representation of people who can just disappear at a moment's notice. So it's much less of like a population being subjugated and repressed and all that, which is what you got more in the book. And so maybe it's not as dark, I guess, as in maybe an attempt to make it less less frightening. But I agree. like it, I think it suffered for that because it made
1: Kamazad's a little bit less interesting and it made the it a little bit less frightening. Yeah, I was expecting the mother who stayed behind and asked them if they wanted some food. I thought that she was going to be the one who like pulled her son inside. And, and I thought that that was going to happen uh, in that cul-de-sac scene. But something I did want to uh, mention was the during the synchronicity scene the cutting and the editing that was my favorite that was my favorite like scene i think in the film and i'll probably i'll mean with you, the ball like yeah, the ball bouncing, bouncing together and, and then yeah the, the different cutting and and like how it felt so it, it really really brought to life what the, the, the scene from from the from the book besides the 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 part that makes you see that like uh you know the uniformity is is something to to be skeptical of especially like as as they move through the city you're saying it's a it's unfortunate that they, they didn't do more in the city um one of the major messages that I, that you you're touching on as well JL was the the idea that um giving yourself over is easier and so since it's the path of least resistance it'll be easier for you but then you lose some of your individuality and i feel like that's I mean that's that's this that's this story all over like to, and to have that now would be very important a very important facet of this story would be to tell, um and I think that in a different way it does but individuality and and like um self confidence and and being your own person it may be harder sometimes but ultimately it's it can be more rewarding and in you know you can you you're more there's the more of that freedom that that I think everybody's looking for.
2: I was just disappointed that we didn't get more of Bellamy Young being creepy and homey because that was such because the line that we got was like the line that we got in the trailers. And I was so looking forward to more of her being the creep that creepy mom character and the fact that we didn't get any more was such a lost opportunity
0: yeah and i think i think you're right in saying that like it's still there because meg's individuality and her embracing her faults and all that stuff is how she is able to you know kind of overcome and fight but it's not backed up by the larger story in the way that it is in the book so
1: yeah it's like it's just not quite as impactful right and yeah, i totally I mean agree the empowerment in the I, I think that that that's the thing that, that will stick with me about this movie is just the the message of empowerment that this is sending to to children to young women young african-american women like sure. it's i mean it's 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 a really important film for there's some much needed diversity in here
0: uh before we move too far past oprah i just wanted to get in something i had i thought about with her um i can totally see why why you would have kind of a meh reaction to her J- jl and um for me it was the same kind of thing like it was it, i had to this, i was of two minds one mind was very focused on the fact that this is Oprah, and then the other was like, if I if I if I didn't know who this person was, and I was just watching this performance, she actually does a great job at being very wise and being very kind and kind of, I mean, dare I say, grandmotherly. Um, not to be insulting, but like in a great way. Like I like I think if I was a kid who didn't know who Oprah was, I would have been very drawn to this to this actor and you know in in the performance. So it's it's almost. Um, she falls a little bit uh, um,
1: prey to her own reputation and her own stardom.
2: That's a really good point.
1: I think she oozes. She just oozes that, like, like, even if you were a child and didn't know who that was, that's an important person right you know what i mean like you she oozes like a magnetism that Mm -hmm. like everybody knows that like like that's she's obviously
0: and how great like i love that decision to make her really giant yeah too because that made her like that also added to that right like she was very different because she was
1: giant and the other two were like very like oh you know like well and i think that was there was a great opportunity in there for for oprah to to and i as i've said before in in the, the book and in the in the film um some of the some of the messages are on the nose, but it's easier for a child to to get on board. But right. there is there was something mentioned about size, and and sh, sh, um I think Reese Witherspoon's character said something about how large she was, and then Oprah came back with a great comeback about how like is there a certain size that's you know do you know what I'm talking about? And I think that I yeah. was supposed to be about what's the right size, or something right, like right, that something she like that. Said, so it's yeah. just like I think that that's a great come on. I mean like that's like a that's a perfect use of of like an Oprah empowerment moment. You know what I mean? Because sure. there is no you know. What is the right size? Yeah,
0: um, I also wanted to touch on before we move too far past it. There's the when she's describing the darkness, and that's I think also a high point for uh, for Mrs. Witch, um, and sh- and they're doing the cuts to show the different people who've been affected by the darkness. Um, I loved part- the particular standout for me was the bully. Yes. And see, and looking at the bully with empathy and seeing her obsession with her own body image and how that's been probably driven into her by her parents and how that informs how she behaves and how she lashes out. And whenever you can set up a bully who you detest, which you definitely do, this this girl at the start, you're like, oh, she's so terrible, you know? And like, I love that you can then turn around and show empathy for that character. I think it's a really smart decision. and And the high point of that kind of string of, of uh, showing what the darkness is for me.
2: I want to disagree with you about one thing, though. I don't think that it was her parents. Um, If you remember back to the very beginning when Meg is in school and she turns around um, after she sees the note in her locker and she sees the bully and all of the bully's cohorts, um, all of those girls are tall and skinny. And even the camera angle was kind of lower from Meg's perspective. So all these tall, skinny girls are looming over her. So I think it's it's more of societal conditioning. Yeah. Um, and since we never meet her parents, I, I think it's more just that clique of girls is probably very image-obsessed. Um, these are the girls who want to be cheerleaders in high school. And so that's probably what's driving that a little bit more.
0: I agree. With I, I think you're right. I think I just...
2: As a a young, well, you guys were never young women in high school, and I was.
0: (laughs) Well, and and like if it had been more about, you know, being athletic and and powerful, maybe I would have picked up on that because I, you know, you face different expectations as young young boys. and, And, you know, the star athletes tend to be the one that you look up to physically and say, oh, I wish I looked like that. So I I, I agree. You're right. I think that's probably what's pushing it. I think there is a, you know, there is situations that exist where parents do force it. But I think the story that this film is telling is what you're saying. I agree.
2: Because that that shot in the beginning of of her looking up at the girls, like I can still see that so clearly in my head because that was me in, in middle school, you know, looking up at the tall, pretty popular girls. So that definitely struck me.
0: Yeah, and that's going to, I mean, that's got to, I think so many young girls who see this movie are going to connect with that.
2: And they were all white or, I I mean, there was a little bit of of Asian features in the bully character, but none of them were black either. Um,
0: Right, so you're saying there's a racial component there?
2: Yeah, probably a little bit.
0: All right, so sorry, I'm distracting from uh, us talking about uh, the end you know, the, the final sequence. Yeah, let's definitely Let's talk get about back to end. that, yeah.
1: So I guess we'll go from the point that, that Meg meets up with her father. So they test her out without Charles Wallace, and uh, they use that moment to create tension between Meg and her father, and it's kind of all that pent-up, emotion from her father not being around and then they're on this very interesting planet that as i think for you because specifically you had mentioned uh the dull planet that they go to with the creatures in the book it was a highlight so and and that ended up not not being in it and i felt like the way that they did that scene where they were going to test her out but then she didn't want to um it was a little confusing and i felt like it it kind of lost some of its steam there and and you didn't really feel as much of the tension between the the
0: a lot of the stuff on Camazotz was pretty confusing, and mm-hmm. I and I wonder if children would be confused by it or if they would just go along. Um, but I found it confusing as an adult, you know, who yeah. had read the book.
2: You know, I was not very married to the Aunt Beast scenes. Um, I thought that that part of the ending dragged on a bit. But um, there are people on the Internet who are like, Aunt Beast isn't in it. I'm not going to go see it at all then. Um <laughs> yeah. So I think it worked for me in terms of how the story transitioned, um, even if it was jarring as someone who had just read the book, that it didn't go in that direction as I kind of inherently expected. So parts of that part of the ending, that change to the ending, I was totally okay with, though I would have been really curious to see how that would have been portrayed on film.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, you know, you said that like you do, you're right. That was something I liked in the book, but I kind of oh, didn't really? think it was going to work that great in the movie. So I, I honestly, I, I was down with them not doing it. Okay. Um, I, I, it, it's something that I think works better in a book, you know, and a very visual storytelling of a film. It's not going to land the same way. So I, I was kind of okay with them. But I, but beyond that, when you're talking about things being confusing in that la- last bit, I agree. Um, I was a little bit confused at certain things and just like orienting myself and understanding because they call Kamazats like a planet several times. But then they're in like a space that seems not very planet like to me. Um, So, yeah, it's it's just I I had a little bit of confusion about where I was, I guess, other than being around some darkness and a brain like structure. (laughs) Mm hmm.
1: I actually am surprised that they kind of did the brain at the end. I, I'm kind of skipping ahead. First of all, I wanted to ask you guys about Chris Pine. What did you think about? Oh, his yes, right. Chris this character? <laughs> I'll, I'll let JL start on this one.
2: Uh, I'm a total Chris Pine fangirl. I love him as Captain Kirk. So I'm probably not an objective response to that, <laughs> though. I, though I will say um, I totally thought that his beard was dyed. And then I saw uh, pictures of him recently. And I'm like, oh, no, he actually is going Oh <laughs> yeah,
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I really liked his performance, and, and I'm not a, uh, <laughs> you know, Chris Pine fanboy. Uh, I I have seen things where I liked him, and I've seen things where I thought he was okay. Um, I'm like, I mean, to talk about a different movie for a second, uh, Wonder Woman, I thought he was okay in that movie. Like- he was
2: okay in that movie. Um, but I will say that Mrs. Murray, um, I recently subjected myself to Cloverfield Paradox, and she oh. was hands down the best part of that movie. Um, I think
1: I know you watched that, James. I didn't. Yeah, she is. the. She's definitely one of my favorite parts of that.
2: Yeah. So I'm excited to see her and more stuff because I think that she, you know, along with Storm Reed, she's older, but I think she's definitely breaking into more mainstream things. And I'm excited to see where her career takes her as well. And I'm absolutely not going to try to pronounce her name because I will butcher it.
1: Yeah, it's tough to say.
0: Fair enough, um, and yeah, just to, I, I think to 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 round out my thoughts on on the the parents in general, I think both of them were great. Um, I think Chris Pine did not phone it in for this movie at all. He was, no, and he, he was could there. Have. He, he could have, yeah, he could have, but he didn't. He was he took those scenes seriously. Yeah, and well, I, I think his relationship with his daughter is so integral to the movie. Mm-hmm that if he hadn't it would have hurt the movie
1: really bad well and, and i he, and i thought he did good did yeah a good i job. actually really their their chemistry and their mm. their relationship was one of my favorite parts of the movie between but and they didn't have very many scenes together but right. they were powerful like i i felt and that was uh when when storm reed really like i think she really showed up and in, in those scenes and that's where i where i really was sold on the fact that like she's definitely going to go on to do some great stuff mm. Um, just to, just for a note, I think the way that I've heard people say it before, so I don't know if it's, if it's true or not, but it's Gugu and Bath Ra. Okay.
2: For, for the sounds like name. it would be right.
1: But it's, I mean, that's a tough name to say. Right, you're out on a limb. I'm out on a limb. Somebody, not tell, out there. <laughs> somebody message me and tell me I'm wrong, please.
0: Um, so I just want to open it up now for JL, because you have said several times that you had a lot of problems with some of the changes that were made in the end. And I just want to hear you talk about that.
2: So... I, I, oh God, where to even start? Okay. So on the one hand, I wanted to see them face it. On the other hand, I think that Charles Wallace kind of losing himself to it and Meg having to bring him back with the power of love. And that sounds so cheesy, but they made it work and it was incredibly effective. And I didn't think it was cheesy when I was sitting there. I was like, my heart was aching for them. And I, I wanted her to have her little brother back. Um, I think that one of the changes that they made to the film where having Charles Wallace be adopted actually enhanced that those moments at the end, because this kid doesn't know his father. I mean, he's, he's a young child. But I think that it kind of latched on to the fact that this to him, daddy is just this like, nebulous figure who's never been in his life and that really made um his his uh conflict with meg more powerful to me
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right and i can't believe i didn't mention that earlier but i also love the change of having to be adopted and that uh, that goes right into that social message for, so it's not only a mixed-race family but it's also one that has an adopted child that they welcome into their home and is so loved by everybody and in and, and it's just, I don't know, that's just such a wonderful message that I put out there, and um, I, I so I completely agree on that. I think for me, and, it, and this is a very subjective thing, um, a lot of the Charles Wallace stuff that didn't land for me was when he was kind of possessed by it, and I felt like they, in, in the book he says a lot of creepy things. Like, you know, the way he talks to his sister, hello to your sister. And it's very different than how he normally speaks and all this stuff. And they kind of went that creepy route, whereas I, I just remember him shouting a lot. Yeah, this. he
2: was just kind of shouty and and And, and, and a five-year-old
0: shouting is something that I struggle to take seriously. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because in real life, you just kind of go, either it's annoying or it's laughable, but it, it's a five-year-old shouting and he's so cute. That even when he's shouting, I'm just like, oh, look how cute he is. You know what I mean? And like, then
2: he's throwing Meg, like, <laughs> against weird stone outcroppings. And you're like, oh, yeah. he's a shouty five-year-old with, you know, with telekinesis. So is he?
1: Right. So
2: it was possession, but it wasn't like creepy exorcist possession. It was yeah. fake movie possession.
0: Yeah. It, it, so I don't know what could have been done. It, it, the, the actor, I think, was really good at being cute and likable in a precocious Charles Wallace, way,
1: and that's why he was cast. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's what the character is. He kind of nailed all the, all the like, wise beyond his years stuff. Yeah. Like, he, I think he did a really good job dur- all, during all of that and being yeah. like, and
2: just being like, let's go, kids. Like, dude, you were like basically a toddler, but it's yeah. just adorable when he says it, and I loved it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's just, you, I mean, he's, he clearly excelled at that. Mm-hmm. And then you take him and you, and you try and do this turn. And that's just really tough. That's tough mm. to ask. Um, and it's tough for a cute kid like that to like um, maybe there could have been something done with CGI other than just kind of the crack of lightning that was kind of on his face, but something to make him look less cute. And I don't know, like yeah, recognizable
2: kind of cute. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I think that maybe is what was affecting me. I, I just couldn't get past that he
1: was this sole five-year-old kind of having a tantrum and, and still looking cute as hell. So mm. <laughs> so okay, I think a character and something that we haven't even talked about that we should is Calvin in the love story. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: and I, I loved it because you see the reverse of that so much where the girl just follows around the, the boy hero and talks about how cute he is and how strong and powerful he is. And to have that reversed, um, it was done so effectively and I loved it. And I think that's, that's so important for kids to see that it's not one-sided or that it doesn't have to always be the opposite. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think
0: that's perfectly said. Um, I, I think if we're going to, if I was going to break it down to a crass book comparison, um, I, I thought it worked better in the film. I think uh, I, I, had some issues with the Calvin character in the book Um, I I thought there were times that he said things that maybe weren't creepy in the 60s but to a modern reader struck me as kind of creepy and like the way he was kind of um, very forward with Meg at certain times and just certain things that didn't strike me well in the book and I thought they cleaned up a lot of that for the movie
2: especially since in the book he's 12 and sh- or she's 12 and he's like 15 or 16 oh yeah you're right and I that makes about it that. even yeah. creepier yes. um, so they it was much more effective in the movie and they definitely took out some of the creepiness while retaining the the important elements of it <laughs>
1: I definitely agree with what you guys are saying. I think they did a good job of representing a, you know, a puppy love or a love at that age as well, mm. where it's like, you 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 can't compare this to something that's, you know what I mean? Like, they, I think it's a good representation of what it's like to be like into someone at that age. And it is funny that he has like this puppy love after her and that's kind of that reversal. And I, I think that's really effective. And Again, showing a younger generation that that things can be different, things you know what I mean. Things don't have to be yeah. the way that they always have been.
0: Yeah, uh, or I, seemingly. I, yeah, and it, I guess I I, I have to uh, pick a little bit of nits here, and just uh, for me, he he was a little bit boring. Um, like I I was a little bit, and it's 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 not really his fault because the character in the book is too. Um, but I guess I was hoping that they would do a little more with him to make me like him more. But instead, he he was just kind of a long...
2: Yeah, especially mm. at the end, because they make the big deal about his gift is diplomacy, and that's used a little bit more effectively in the book, and it was a little yes. lost in translation here in the film. Because he isn't super... I mean, some parts of him yeah. are creepy, but he wasn't quite as two-dimensional in the books.
0: Yeah, and and I think he just is kind of gone for the entire Kamazots. Like third act, final part at least. with the, He's just not there, right? Yeah, he's not. right. Well, it's just her
1: and it's just Megan and uh, Charles Wallace. Well, and
0: I mean, I know that kind of happens in the book too, but they had had the other scene at the other planet, I guess. So there was more with Calvin in the book
1: at the end of the book, whereas he just kind of disappears for the end of this movie. So I will say that there was one scene that I wanted to, to kind of click with more and I wanted to see how it struck you guys. But as she comes through the wrinkle at the end, there's like a fairly long sequence where she's like fla- floating with the ribbons and things flying around her and stuff. And just yeah. like, uh, for me, I it didn't really work very well. Um, and I'll get into it, but what did, what did you like, what was it supposed to represent or what did you get out of that? Or did did you just feel like that was just a moment to f- wrap up the film?
2: Well, it was, it was embodying and representing the fact that Tessering was no longer painful for her. Um, previous yeah. Tessering scenes, they'd done the, the creepy thing where her face is like pressed up against fabric. Um, which is a good representation of showing how Tessa Ring is like suffocating her. Um, and now it's freeing. Um, I think it dragged on for maybe 30 seconds to even a minute or two too long. And that's perhaps why it didn't click for you because you were like, okay, I got it. Let's let's move on. But again, we're adults. Um, I don't know how kids would have taken that.
1: <laughs> I guess I, with that being said, I do appreciate it more for for that because I felt like what they were trying to say was, was look at how magical this journey had been and like like the the idea of it being painful and then her kind of coming into her own and accepting things and um being more confident and and approaching the wrinkle on her own yeah that is cool but i do think it went a little long as well yeah i mean i think you've covered it (laughs) yeah
0: uh, I Honestly, I didn't have much of a reaction to that scene other than saying, oh, you know, that's some cool visuals that they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I can see both of the... I can see the support for
1: it and the criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I get it. All right, so wh- I mean, we're I think we're getting to the end here. Is there any specific stuff you guys wanted to touch on before we give our final thoughts? Okay, um,
0: so there are a couple times in this movie where she claims that certain things are like physics and... Uh, i kind of want to like do some research but i'm not going to but like it just a lot of it felt very like lip servicey i'm gonna call this physics but really it's kind of just magic i don't know
1: and it's like particularly the tornado thing and, and like
0: it was so so in she that, was seemingly doing
1: calculations, like she was yeah. saying something, and I get that. But maybe if she had talked about some sort of like formula or like velocity yeah. or something, something to yeah. give to give some sort of uh, like example or representation. Yeah, of what she was didn't. Going ha- on. She
0: she would claim something, but she didn't prove it in any way. Like th- I, she claimed that this is why. But uh, so I guess that in that that is a microcosm of something larger for the movie that I felt like. I I thought there was a stronger attention to the science in the book than there was in the movie. And as someone who I've already said, I'm very science-minded, I missed that. I wanted more real science. And, you know, even in just small ways, but I wanted more of that. Not to say there wasn't any, but it just seemed like the thumb was really pressing on kind of the more fantasy elements for this film in a way that maybe was a little more balanced in the book for me.
2: I think we're just supposed to take it as a given that despite like all of her problems in school stem from her attitude and not necessarily from her intelligence, even if that's the way she was interpreting it. Um, Obviously, she is very gifted in terms of science. Yeah, some of it worked for me and some of it didn't. I I mean, I really hated the whole tornado scene to begin with. So the fact that she was doing fancy science on top of it, I'm just like, whatever.
1: Yeah. And I mean, we have we we should give the benefit of the doubt as well because it is a kids' movie, and I'm sure there's there's studio input. There's you know this person, that person, this person. Test there may audiences. there may have been there may have been something there that was just cut. That's true, and that makes it more jarring. But I can um, only react to what I exactly, you know, to yeah. what I saw.
0: That was my last little thing I had. <laughs> my last I gotta get in a couple of little criticisms, but uh, I, I like I, I do want to highlight that how important I think this film is right and and I I think that's my main takeaway from it and how glad I am that there are children seeing this
2: yeah as a kids movie I really enjoyed it um I wish I'd gotten to see you know I I don't necessarily wish that I'd read the book when I was younger but I wish that I'd seen a movie like this when I was younger
1: so I guess this wrapping up here did you guys have like a favorite part least favorite part
2: yeah. Um, I was really happy that she was a lettuce monster instead of the creepy horse figure from the 1990s <laughs> book covers. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, lettuce dragon, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, well, I yeah, I agree that and
1: that whole scene with the whole flight through that planet. And, yeah, she, was, and then meg like pushed off and said like oh you can you can kind of get some lift that's another example of some yeah. of this it's well, like but i mean like she does at least say the word lift and like say that, that's like and, a thing and that's that, what i mean it was yeah.
0: a lot of just like saying a word and less of like explaining anything yeah so but you know like i said <laughs> I, be, people
1: will disagree i'm sure So Um, that was just the way it struck me. All in all, I think my final thought, well, before final thoughts, one more thing I think I feel like we should mention is Luke's wife, Annalisa, uh, also mentioned to me that she saw something on Twitter that I feel like is really worth mentioning. Oh, I know what you're talking about. So um, Chris Pine's character, the father in this situation, looks a lot like one of the puppets from Team America World Police. (laughs) Yeah, so, <laughs> someone know. posted two pictures, like the picture of the puppet next to a picture of him in this movie, and I was like, "It's amazing!" <laughs> I was completely blown away. And what's crazy is, like, while watching the movie, he, I was like, "He looks familiar." Like, I've seen him, I've seen Chris Pine a lot, but I was like, "He looks like something I've seen before." And then that it clicked when she told me that, that's what it was. <laughs> it totally was. <laughs> yeah, we should. I'll retweet that.
2: I saw the movie with uh, my husband and a friend of mine who is a longtime Navy veteran, and she was having so much fun watching this movie, and that that made my day. So,
0: Yeah, we had a few people. We didn't have many because we saw it kind of late. We saw it last night, Um, and we had a few. There were some people in the theater, and there were some people having a really great time. Oh, yeah, that's that's absolutely
1: true. There were people who were having a ball and and I'm glad for it, you know? Yeah. So I think for just to throw my final thoughts out there, Mm -hmm. um, I think ultimately this movie isn't for me. And I think that's most of most of what, what you mean I it's said. not made for you. It's not exactly it's not mm-hmm. made for me. And ultimately, like I think I kind of said it before, but it didn't really land totally completely for me. I think it's yeah. an important film that's that I'm glad that it's made. Um, and that's fine that it's, you know, it wasn't made for me. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's out there for sure. For other audience. There members. are plenty of movies made for us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, this movie
2: was made for 12 year old me. And I'm so glad that there are 12 year old me's out there who are getting to see it. Yeah, And I guess that's, that's really all I can say as my final thought, even though it wasn't for me, it, it was, it's for people a lot like me and I could have used that. And I'm glad that girls today are getting it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I I mean, I guess that's it for uh, us talking about this movie, but I did want to talk to uh, JL. Um, Can you tell us about. Uh, what maybe some upcoming projects you might have or what you might have out right now people could check out if they're interested in, in finding out more about you, um, and especially on the writing side, and then we can talk about maybe the blog after.
2: Um, sure. Uh, like Luke said at the beginning, I write urban fantasy and alternate history. So if you like A Wrinkle in Time and you like wacky adventures with a healthy dose of fantasy and a little bit of uh, hand-wavy chemistry mixed in, um, please feel free to check <laughs> out my Steel Empire series. They're for for people a little older than 12, Um, but uh, Steel Victory is the first book. It's a standalone, um, but it continues with Steel Magic and Steel Blood. And this summer, uh, book four comes out, which is Steel Time, which is my time travel book that I'm really excited about. So um, honestly, people who grew up really enjoying A Wrinkle in Time might, might find something that they like in my books as well.
0: Yeah, if you have kids who who love this movie, maybe uh, you know when they turn thirteen. <laughs> yeah, you know, give them four books for their birthday. Boom, all four. You know,
2: I like this plan. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So and so, you also write for speculativechic.com. dot com. Um, can you tell us about like what kind of stuff you do there and what maybe what the what that blog is for people who might be interested in that?
2: Um, Speculative Chic is uh, a blog uh, where. Speculative people talk about speculative things. Um, it started out primarily as a group of women, which is kind of where the speculative sheet came in as kind of a riff on chick. Um, but mm-hmm. we are open to everybody. We have male contributors as well. Um, my role in the blog is that I'm primarily the uh, film review editor. Um, so Every Tuesday after a major release, um, as long as myself, usually, or other contributors have seen it, um, we do uh, reaction posts, uh, kind of rounding things up. So a little bit like we've done here for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, today, the day that we're recording it, March 13th, um, our sound off post for A Wrinkle in Time went up, and you got my thoughts along with those of two other contributors. Um, but otherwise, the blog is book reviews, game reviews. We have uh, monthly columns about the role of women in the science fiction genre, so geeky to intellectual and everything in between. So speculativecheek dot com. I hope you guys check it out.
0: That's awesome. And if you are a listener to this po- of this podcast and you you're curious about it. Um, uh, JL actually did an interview with us that is going to be, when is that going to be posted on there?
2: That will go live on my blog. Um, I think either later this week or next week. So either by the time this podcast go live, goes live or soon thereafter, um, there's an inter great interview with Luke and James on my, my personal blog at JLgribble.com where I also do, um, everything from book reviews to, Pictures of when I build giant Lego sets.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, perfect. I'm sure we will share that all over social media. So if you if you follow us on there, uh, you'll find it. Speaking of social media, how can people f- uh, connect with you online?
2: Um, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Writer And on Twitter as Hanna Edits. H-A-N-N-A-E-D-I-T-S.
1: Cool. Go out and follow her. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, J.L. Thanks yeah, for having thank so me. Much. I
2: really enjoyed talking about this movie with you guys.
1: Absolutely. It was really great to have your perspective.
0: Thanks so much for coming on. And uh, maybe in the future, we'll we'll bring you back for for another project.
2: I watch a lot of movies and I read a lot of books. That'd be great.
1: That's perfect. That's perfect. All right. See ya. Bye. All right. That was our conversation with J.L. Gribble. Again, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. Make sure to follow her on you know, social media. Check out that blog all of the things we talked about. Um, so yeah, we uh, if you've been following us on social media, you'll also know that we are doing a giveaway, or we did a giveaway for Ready Player One, and we want to go ahead and announce those winners. Uh, on Facebook, it was Sonia, and on Twitter, it was Chris. They both are going to get a book. Uh, we're going to mail it to them tomorrow, I think, or maybe later today. Yeah. We'll see. Um, congrats to them.
1: Congratulations,
0: guys. You won our first giveaway. Yeah, first giveaway. I thought it went really well. Uh, we had a lot of traction there. Um, we, if you are bummed, maybe you didn't win or or, or whatever, and you want to get in on the next one, uh, we actually have some more Ready Player One swag we're gonna we're gonna be uh, raffling out here.
1: Yeah, it's really exciting. So look out for that on our
0: social media. Yeah, we'll, we'll announce that soon, and we, you'll get all our details of how you can enter and get a shot at uh, at that. Um, oh, so I last week I mentioned that I had a short story come out in Metapherosis Magazine, um, and I realized I didn't say the name of it. So I want to go ahead and say it is called Always Dawn to Forever Night. Um, it is a story about a young girl who travels through kind of a fantasy land where every place she goes uh, is locked into a certain time of day. Um, and it's, so it's a kind of a travel story, but it's also a deeply symbolic one for me that I um, really enjoyed and I'm really proud of. So I hopefully you guys can go check that out. Metaphorosis magazine.
1: You can read it for free. So
0: I hope you check that out.
1: Definitely. Also, if you wanted to find us on social media, we're ink to film on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We're pretty active on there. And again, we're going to be doing another giveaway here soon. So definitely follow us on those pages.
0: Absolutely. And uh, James is in Portland right now. So I've been posting some some photos of us actually together, which is really cool. It's first time in Portland. So
1: yeah, it's been amazing. It's really oh my god, like the mountains and everything (laughs) so much fun in the city too. so much to do. I'm glad you're
0: enjoying it. So, uh, yeah, if you have any other feedback for us, you want to you wanna talk to us about what you thought about A Wrinkle in Time, uh, we do want to know. We want to know if you thought we got something wrong, if you thought we got something right. <laughs> Either way, you can write in to us, um, and you're going to do that at ink2film at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you.
1: Definitely. And make sure to subscribe to our wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, we've been doing pretty well recently. Spotify. You can follow on Spotify. Follow on Spotify and uh, make sure to rate and review because that really does help out the podcast
0: absolutely and tell somebody about it you know if you know somebody you think if you enjoy it and you think oh this you know so-and-so would probably really like this you know do us a favor and tell them about it yeah. that's word of mouth is the best way to spread the word so absolutely um that would be a huge
1: help for us all right and lastly again we just want to say thank you to jl for coming on it was a lot of fun
0: yeah and i we'd also like to thank audible for giving us an affiliate link it's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film you go to that and you can get uh you can sign up using that and you'll get a free book
1: and free 30 days Definitely. And also thank you to Ross Bogdan for the use of our intro and outro music. All right. I think that's everything. That's going to be a wrap on A Wrinkle in Time.
0: Our next project, Ready Player One, I am so excited to get to. We hope you come along and join us for that next project.
1: Yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to start the audiobook read by Will Wheaton on the plane back from Portland. So I'm looking forward to it. All right. And uh, until next episode, I'm Luke. And I'm James. Bye.